will, if you have a copy of Scripture with you, I invite you to take it and turn to Genesis chapter 40. Genesis chapter 40. We began our series through the life of Joseph, uh, beginning in Genesis chapter 37, going all the way through the end of the book of Genesis just uh, a few weeks ago, uh, taking a break for Easter last week. So we're jumping back in. The purposes of God in the land of affliction. And we find ourselves this morning in Genesis chapter 40. And it's a, I won't do this with every chapter, but it's a smaller, shorter chapter. And so uh, we're going we're gonna to read this together just to get ourselves back into uh, the mind here of, of what's going on in the book of Genesis. If you'll remember in chapter 39, Joseph was wrongfully accused by Potiphar's wife that uh, Joseph had attempted to rape her, which was a total lie. She was actually the one coming on to him, but he refused to sin against God. And so she made up a lie uh, that Joseph had attacked her. And ultimately, Joseph gets thrown in prison. And we know that from the end of chapter 39 that uh, God blessed him there and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the, uh, the prison. And Joseph is kind of in charge of everything. And he's succeeding, even in prison. And so that brings us to chapter 40. Where it says, Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. And one night, they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in, the mas- in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, we have had dreams and there's no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, in my dream there was a vine before me. And on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossom, it, its blossoms shot forth, and clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes. I pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, this is its interpretation. Three branches, the three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to office. And you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly, when you were his cupbearer. Only... Remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house. For I indeed was stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into this pit. Now when the chief baker saw the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head, and in the uppermost basket there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh. But... The birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, this is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree. And the birds will eat the flesh from you. On the third day, Pharaoh's birthday, 
He made a feast for all of his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker, as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. I come to you this week, as many of you may know, after a few days away with, with uh, Amber, my wife, to the Together for the Gospel conference in Louisville, Kentucky. And it was a wonderful conference. Um, I, I plan to share that more with you on, on, on how great a time we had uh, this, uh, this evening at the members meeting. But w- while I was coming back from this conference, I find myself to have a bit of an issue and the issue is the fact that I did not schedule anybody to preach for me today. Every other pastor I spoke to at the conference had somebody filling in for them on Sunday. I would ask them, so are you preaching on Sunday? No, no, no. I'm going to be at the conference all week. I have somebody else filling in for me. And, I would, and even a worship pastor friend of mine, I asked him, are you, so what, what, are, what, what songs are you doing on Sunday? And he goes, <laughs> I'm not leading on Sunday. And so... While the conference was refreshing and encouraging and, maybe I can use the word epic, yet it kind of took a lot out of us at the same time. And so I realized that once I got back from the conference, I was going to be left. And unfortunately, none of the speakers spoke on Genesis chapter 40. What's up with that? And, uh, and so I knew I'd be stuck, not stuck, I, just, I knew that I'd be kind of trying to cram in preparation for a message And as I began to prepare for this message, I feared that I was heading toward uh, a a sort of preaching that Alistair Begg, the name will sound familiar to many many of you, he was there at this conference and he shared before his message about preaching, uh, not then, but about preaching a message that he uh, described as akin to Christopher Columbus. If you know Christopher Columbus, when he set out, he didn't know where he was going. When he arrived, he didn't know where he was. And when he returned, he didn't know where he had been. And here I am, standing before you this morning. And I don't think it's that bad, but nonetheless, God's word is good, and I'm thankful for the the preparation time uh, my family allowed me once we got back. And uh, we're going to jump into Genesis chapter 40. But I want to begin this sermon by actually reading a number of other passages. And for the sake of time, I won't have you turn to all of them. Perhaps you can write them down or just listen in as I read. We just read this passage, uh, Genesis chapter 40, which kind of carries on from Genesis 39 about Joseph being wrongfully imprisoned. I want to read from you from a number of New Testament passages, Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And then in Luke chapter 21, verses 10 to 12, Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places famines and pestilences. And there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. Speaking of the end. But, Jesus says, but before all this they will lay their hands on you and persecute you. Delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. 
and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up, even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And some of you they'll put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. John 15, verses 18 through 20. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, this is Jesus speaking, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27 through 30, where Paul writes, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engage in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now here I still have. Second Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet the Lord delivered me from them all. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12-16. through 16, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering, that you may rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. But let him glorify God in that name. And then finally, Revelation chapter 2 verse 10. Jesus says to the church, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Where do we get our ideas about how the Christian life is going to look? Where do we get our definition of the word blessed? How many of us, when God enters us into affliction, would hold our fist at him and say, how dare you, God? Jesus died to save you, and that's a great blessing. But Jesus died not only to save you so that you might suffer for him. I was reminded from an article put out just recently that for God to be sovereign means that he may demand anything or everything at any time. Now Joseph has been 
beat up on by his brothers, thrown into a pit, sold by his brothers, lied about by Potiphar's wife, and he just keeps getting lower and lower and lower. Tons of suffering, tons of, yes, even persecution. Yet God is directing Joseph. And Joseph may not have known where he was heading, but he knew God was heading him there. And so I want you to keep all those verses I just read in mind. Get the, get the, keep the ideas in mind as we work through today's chapter in Genesis chapter 40. Because Joseph was living the high life, if you remember, as Jacob's favored son, until his brother sold him into slavery. Potiphar, remember, he ends up at Potiphar's house, and Potiphar... Uh, you know, basically gives him a promotion to being over his entire house, over everything he had. And so Joseph was in a, in a good place there until Potiphar's wife lied about him. And so now we, we find him in prison, and Joseph is put in charge of the prison. We already referenced that in the end of chapter 39. But now, but now so he's in prison. If you're just reading the story for the first time and you're following along, he's in prison, and now two guys enter the story. And we're almost leery of anybody entering the story of Joseph because so, every single time somebody enters this story, it gets bad for Joseph. And here again, I mean, things are, I mean he's in prison, but it's, it seems like he's more on a house arrest sort of thing than actual prison. And things are going well again, all things considered. Here are these two guys. Yet we see through it all, and we'll see, we'll continue, this will continue to be unfolded as we go through the series. But Joseph desired to live a godly life, and Joseph was persecuted for it. He was hated for it. He shared some sense of God's divine goal for him to his brothers, and his brothers hated him for it. He told Potiphar's wife, I'm not going to sin against God by sleeping with you. And Potiphar's wife hated him for it. So Joseph desired to live a godly life. And here again, we hear in this story, he's, he's going to continue being that godly man. And he's going to grow to be more and more godly. But what's important for the Christian is the kind of people we are in the midst of suffering and persecution we will be the right kind of people when we have the right kind of loves, love for God being foremost. And we'll talk about that more as we go on as well. But here's the big idea of this chapter, at least one of the big ideas, is that God will lead his children through affliction so that his children will lead others to him. God will lead his children through affliction so that his children will lead others to him. And I think that's what we see as an outcome of Joseph's life. And especially once we get into chapter 45, you know the, the real well-known, I guess a lot of these are real well-known, but you know at the end when Joseph, his brothers come to him and he says, listen, I'm not in the place of God, I'm not going to condemn you. God sent me here. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. I forgive you, I love you. Joseph is constantly pe pointing people towards his God. And so... I want to look at uh, this morning uh, just three proofs that Joseph used his affliction to evangelize. Uh, and these are all things we, can, we, can, uh, we need to be looking at our own lives as well as we think through these things. But number one, Joseph uh, repaid evil with good. That's in verses one to four. Joseph repaid evil with good. Joseph got the evil, 
he gave good back. I think that is one clear indication that you are the kind of person God wants you to be in your suffering, in your affliction, in your persecution, when those people, there are people who hate you. Notice here it says uh, Joseph attended, he does, he does a lot of things in this when it comes to these two men, the cupbearer and the baker. It says the, the captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and then it says, and he attended them. He's doing good to these people. And again, he's probably in some sort of house arrest by now. Uh, the captain of the guard is, is, if you remember in chapter 39, that's actually how Potiphar was described. And this is perhaps the same man. Maybe this is Potiphar. But either way, maybe this would explain Joseph's rise to influence. But Joseph by now, instead of being you know, the, the prominent one among Potiphar's house, he's now a servant to prisoners. And so here we have these two guys, the king's cupbearer and the baker. And Joseph was assigned to wait on them and meet their needs. So let's just talk about who, who are these guys. And the answer is we really don't know much about them. They almost seem like they're part of the story, but just to move Joseph further on in the story. Uh, the cupbearer. Again, we don't know much, but we understand from history that the cupbearer was responsible for serving the drinks at the king's parties. So he would serve the drinks to Pharaoh the king and to his guests. And he would especially be in charge of making sure that Pharaoh's drink wasn't poisoned. And so he would even try the wine uh, before giving it to Pharaoh to make sure there wasn't a poison. And that was kind of his job. The baker, I don't know how much explanation I need to give to a baker, but a baker would bake. Uh, and I trust that wasn't anything groundbreaking to you. But the baker baked the food. The baker cooked much of the king's food. And both of these men had pretty much direct access to Pharaoh, or the king of Egypt. And uh, they were both high positions, and they were highly trusted positions. And they did something, we, again, we don't know what, and there's no sense in speculating, because it really doesn't matter, otherwise God would have told us. But they did something to anger Pharaoh. And so Pharaoh, uh, the king of Egypt, puts them into this prison. And apparently it's a special prison for those who... Sin against high officials. The thing about it, Joseph didn't deserve to be in prison. Yet this was God's way forward. God doesn't promise us an easy life. That's why when I read those passages of scripture, how foreign are those passages of scripture to how we think? Why isn't my family perfect, God? Why am I not accepted, God? For being your follower. Why doesn't this nation care about you and care about me as a Christian? God doesn't promise us an easy life. As a matter of fact, he, in many ways, promises us the opposite. The way of the Christian often goes through troubles and trials and hurts and pains. Yet Joseph's conscience was clear. He knew he wasn't supposed to be there. He did nothing wrong. His conscience was clear before God. And so he knew, before God, he had done nothing wrong. And his response to the situation reveals his heart. It reveals his love. It reveals that he wasn't, he wasn't pursuing a kingdom of comfort, but he was pursuing the kingdom of God. And I want to just talk about that just for a minute, our loves. Because I think, although it doesn't, just, it doesn't commentate on Joseph's heart in here, there's no other way 
for Joseph to be so faithful and true to God without loving God more than anything else. You cannot make an argument, an intelligent argument to me that Joseph was, he actually, well, Joseph loved comfort way more than he loved God, or Joseph loved getting his way more than he loved God, or Joseph loved, you know, uh, he, he loved all this lustful impurity more than he loved God. It's very clear Joseph loved God most of all. And God is taking Joseph through this narrative that is his life, and it's leading, and we know where it ends. We know it ends for the glory of God, but Joseph was already on board with that. He's not like just some neutral guy floating down a river. In Joseph's mind, he had the same mind as God's. His life was for God's glory. His life was to love God most of all, and to let that feed everything that he was entering into. And every human being, every single person in here, is a person in pursuit. Let's put it that way. A person in pursuit. Every human knows that we were created for something. There's some great and glorious end we are all trying to achieve. There is a, a dream life that we all have a picture of that gets all of our effort. There's a good life, which the good life I mean, you know, that's Nebraska, the state uh, motto for Nebraska, and this may come to surprise you, but Nebraska is not the good life, uh, and I say that on live stream with people watching. Uh, we all get this idea, what's, what's the good life? Right now, you have a picture, even subconsciously, in your mind of the good life, and you're striving for it, and you make decisions based on what will get you to that good life. Here's what uh, St. Augustine, he's an early church father from the 300s, the 400s AD. Here's what, here's what he has to say about this sort of drive that we all have. He says this, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. Now I want you to notice what he says, you have made us for. You've made us for. You've made us for something made us for something greater than this world. You've made us, we're, we're creatures who don't just sit around and mope. We are, we're pursuing something. And our hearts, he says, are restless. He doesn't, notice he doesn't say our minds are restless. Our minds are restless until we understand the sovereignty of God. That's not what he says. Because there could be loads of people in here that can give a pretty good explanation on the sovereignty of God, his control and care over all things yet their hearts are pursuing something else. He's saying rest comes when it find, our hearts find rest in God. Rest in the Christian life happens when our hearts, our loves, our desires rest in God. This is Joseph's heart. This is Joseph's heart. He found rest in prison. He found rest in the pit. And he found rest wherever he's going because his heart was made for the Lord and that's where he rested his loves, his desires. And when that happens, and that's true of your life, you will serve and do good to those who hate you. You'll love and serve your political enemies. Your Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram feeds will not be full of things you hate, but the love you have for God. 
Joseph is a great illustration of Proverbs chapter 20, verse 22, which is basically another way to say what St. Augustine said. Do not say, I will repay evil. Notice what he says, wait for the Lord, and he will deliver you. Sinful vengeance and anger and bitterness and hatred comes from disordered love. And yet Jesus is our great example, isn't he? Jesus dying on the cross said, Father, forgive them. The thief on the cross, who at one moment was railing against Jesus in slander and mockery, then repents and has the audacity to ask Jesus to remember him in his kingdom. And so Jesus gave that man, a man who gave nothing but evil to him, the greatest good. And that's what Jesus does for all who repent of their sins. He absorbs, he takes on the evil that we've done to him and in returns he gives us the greatest good, himself. But there's another proof as we continue to make our way through this. When our love and our desires are rightly ordered and they're with God, Joseph and us, we'll repay evil with good. We'll get the evil, we'll give good back. But Joseph also revealed his allegiance to God. He repaid evil with good and he revealed his allegiance to God. That, that I think, is one of the key ways you can know whether or not you are suffering, facing persecution, facing affliction in a way that pleases God. That you don't reveal your allegiance to some political party. You don't reveal your allegiance to some teacher or anything like that. You reveal your allegiance to God. And he does this, he does this a couple different ways. We already kind of mentioned this uh, earlier. But n- notice here, it says, it says when, when they had this dream, Joseph, notice he, he noticed them. He noticed that they were troubled. I think this shows the, the, the caring heart and humble heart of Joseph. He came to the morning, he saw that they were troubled, you know, and many of us might see somebody troubled and just, you know, take, take the other route, go a different way, because, you know, we don't want to deal with it. Or we might tell them to shape up, get it together. Dude, it's not that big a deal, we're all in this prison. Well, you think you're, you, you want to talk about what's bad? I mean, you, li, listen to me, let me tell you my story. You know, you want, you want me to hear what's bad? I was, I, I had, I had a le- or 10 older brothers beat me up and throw me in a pit, and he had gone on and on and on. But he saw that something was wrong, and he approached them with concern for them. And they were concerned. And notice, their concern wasn't that they had dreams. That's not why they were concerned. Their concern was that they didn't have anybody to interpret the dreams. Okay, so we talked about this a few weeks ago, but dreams, God often used dreams to reveal whether a certain message or the future. And so these guys had a dream, and it was very clear to them that it wasn't like some normal dream. But that this dream was revelatory, that God was giving these dreams, or some spirit, or some, you know, uh, superior being, because they, you know, they weren't believers in the one true God, but they, they understood that this dream was given to them to reveal something, and they had no idea what it meant. I mean, it's kind of like if, uh, if, um, if someone tells you that something is wrong, but they don't tell you what that something is. That's kind of the feeling here. Like, they know something is wrong, they know something is up, but they didn't, they didn't get the explanation, and so, they, uh, they, and notice what Joseph says, and this is why I said Joseph reveals his allegiance to God. What's the first thing Joseph said? Verse 8, Joseph sa- he says, we have no one to interpret them. And Joseph says to them, well, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell them to me. 
So they tell him. The cupbearer was up first. We won't reread it, but there was a vine with three branches. And these three branches budded, blossomed, and brought forth grapes. The cupbearer took the grapes, pressed them into the Pharaoh's cup, which he was holding, and then gave the cup to Pharaoh. And Joseph goes straight to the interpretation. Good news for you, buddy. Three days from now, your head's going to get lifted up. You're going to be restored to your position. And that was kind of also, if you notice, there's like a little, there's a little part in here. Joseph kind of took, this was the perfect. So if the cupbearer heard this, he would have been rejoicing. Like this would have been good news for him. Like, yes, great, awesome, I'm super excited. Three more days, I'm out of here. I'm back to where I was. Right relationship with the king of Egypt, good to go. He would have been rejoicing. So Joseph thought this was a perfect opportunity for me to just say, hey, when you get out of here, and again, this was a humble, humble, caring guy. He didn't say, hey, okay, since I did this for you, you better do this for me. Or because you did this, here's what I deserve. Have you ever done that? And instead he says, hey, when you get out of here, just please, could you do me the favor of remembering me when you stand before Pharaoh? Because Joseph probably understood that in order for him to get out of prison, it was going to take a guy pretty high up there. And he says, hey, just remember me before Pharaoh. And then he kind of, this is the first time he shares a little bit of his story. And he doesn't even share all of it. He just kind of shares enough to say, hey, I'm in a tough spot. And I was wronged. And I shouldn't be in here. And so Joseph asked the cupbearer to be kind enough to mention him before Pharaoh. Now, I think this would have caused amazement, what Joseph shared with this cupbearer, because Joseph wasn't some fellow Egyptian that helped this guy out. Joseph was a foreigner who owed nothing to this guy. And again, Joseph isn't saying, again, he's not using that as a, hey, I, I owed you nothing. You don't deserve that I helped you out. I could have just let you, you know, be tormented for the next three days. But instead, I helped you out. That's not at all what he does. He just asks in a kind, humble way that the cupbearer be kind enough to remember him before Pharaoh. Now, the baker is sitting there, and we kind of get the idea that maybe the baker wasn't going to share. You know, maybe he's one of those guys like, ah, no big deal, forget about it, no problem. But he heard the cupbearer, and the interpretation of his dream was pretty good. And that prodded the baker to say, well, let me share you mine. And it doesn't go so well. The dream, actually, the dream even naturally sounds worse than the cupbearer's, right? Because for the cupbearer's dream, he pressed the grape into the cup, gave the cup to Pharaoh. In the baker's dream, Pharaoh wasn't even part of the picture. He had Pharaoh's baskets on his head, but it was a bunch of birds eating it. So it even sounded a little bit worse. And Joseph, from what we read, really didn't pull any punches, did he? He says, in three days, your head will also be lifted up. But it's not going to be lifted up to the point you're going to be restored to your position. Your head's going to be lifted from you. You're going to be hanged on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. And then Moses decided not to give us a response from anybody. That's just the end of the conversation. We don't know his response. We don't know if he argued or if he broke down into tears or whatever it might be. In any case, it doesn't matter because three days later, those interpretations come true. And Joseph shares his faith in God. God came to his mind immediately when these people, when the two men said they had a dream. And normally when we hear Joseph speaking, he's referencing his God. Somewhere in there. Somewhere in there, Joseph is talking about God. 
in Genesis 30, uh, chapter 39, uh, which, we, which we talked about with Potiphar's wife here in chapter uh, 40, in chapter 41, in chapter 42, 43, 45, on and on and on again when Joseph is talking to people, whether it's Pharaoh, hey, God can reveal this to you. Uh, when he's talking to his brothers, am I in the place of God? He's just time and time again, he's talking about this is, this is God's thing. I'm God serving here. He revealed his love and allegiance for God in his character, in his words, in his interactions. And so many of the passages we read at the beginning emphasize the character of man more than the circumstances he's in. I'll just put a couple of the samples just again so we can put our, put our eyes on them. On the screen where Paul says, uh, this one in Philippians says, Only let your manner of life be considered worthy of the gospel of Christ. Okay, that's in the midst of persecution, but your manner of life. It should be considered worthy of the gospel of Christ. In 2 Timothy, you, however, have followed my teaching. And notice before, before he mis- mentions the persecutions, he mentions my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. And then he gets to my persecutions. Peter would say, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. That was Joseph. He was glorifying God in prison. There's a third proof here. Joseph remained faithful. Joseph remained faithful. He repaid evil with good. He got evil, he gave good. Joseph revealed his allegiance to God, and Joseph remained faithful. Think about Joseph's situation here. He was given a dream, two dreams, way back in chapter 37, 17-year-old kid, and he understood that God was showing him what was kind of in store for him. And he knows that somehow God is working something in his life. With his family bowing down, he knows something's going on. Yeah, he still doesn't know where this is going. I don't think so. And then he interprets the dream for the cupbearer, and he was out of prison three days later. I mean, if we were in Joseph's spot, we, we would have to be thinking to ourselves, God, I've waited weeks, months, years and I've got, no, I've got nothing to show for the dream you gave me. And yet, this cupbearer, who actually did something wrong, by the way, comes in. And, yeah, there was some time in between when he arrived and when he had the dream. But basically, he had the dream, and three days later, he's back to his normal life. And Joseph might have been asking, when do I get back to my normal life, God? Maybe you've asked that to God. Joseph, if you look at the beginning of chapter 40, uh, the, the first words of chapter 40 are some time after this. Okay, so there's quite a bit of time, at least a decent chunk of time, in between Joseph being put in prison and the cupbearer and the baker coming in. And then at the end of verse 4 it says they continued for some time. Okay, so then there's even a little bit more time between them coming and the dreams that they had. And yet, the climax of the story, the climax of the story, it almost comes. It almost comes when Joseph says, hey, when you get to Pharaoh, mention my name. As if Joseph knew, if you mention my name, you tell him what's going on. Pharaoh will be like, oh, this guy's good. He can interpret dreams, which was a big thing for the Egyptians, by the way. Uh, this guy can interpret dreams, so let's get him out of prison. And so you think, that's his way out right there. 
That's how this story moves along. Yet this section ends in verse 23 with these words. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. And then chapter 41, the, the, next, the next words of chapter 41, after two whole years. Are you remaining faithful in that? God's having you wait when you are reaping the consequences of persecution and suffering that you don't deserve. Are you going to wait and eagerly wait for the Lord Jesus as our country continues to battle more and more against Christianity? Ron DeSantis is not our savior. Jesus is. And we are going to have to wait. Even as we face things that we don't deserve. Two whole years. All this time, Joseph remained faithful to God. Joseph refused to sin against God by sleeping with another man's wife, and he ends up in prison. Joseph shares his sense of divine destiny with his brothers, and he was sold to Ishmaelite slave traders. Joseph helps out a fellow prisoner who was downcast and, 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 and had the face of sorrow because of his dream, and he, up, he ends up getting forgotten and ignored. Rejected, hated, mistreated, forgotten, ignored, so is the life of Joseph, so is the life of the Christian. So is what we, we, we receive or will receive from family, from coworkers, from politicians, from society. And the question comes back to what we asked at the beginning. What's your aim in life? What's your version of the good life? What's your version of the dream life? And you might know all the right answers. But let's be careful that we actually look and say, well, what is it? What is, it? What is my heart aiming for? What is my heart longing for right now? Because if it's a life that is accepted, loved, embraced, and exalted by the world, then you will have to do worldly things to get it. But if your aim is to find rest in God and to love and enjoy him, then the rest indeed that you long for, that rest will happen in your soul. But you yourself will be rejected, hated, mistreated, forgotten, ignored by the culture. Joseph was a man who was persecuted for righteousness' sake. He was hated by his brothers for God's sake. He was granted by God not only the privilege to know God, but to suffer for him. He desired to live a godly life, and he was persecuted. He went through fiery trials. He suffered not as a thief or a meddler or an evildoer, but as a follower of God. He was tested with tribulation. Yet, Joseph was blessed. Not a hair on Joseph's head would perish, and by his endurance he gained his life. His manner of life was worthy of the gospel, a clear sign of everyone else's destruction, but of his salvation. He was not ashamed of God, but glorified God in that name all the way through. He gave others good when others gave him evil. He proclaimed the glory of his God. He was faithful unto death. May God find us the very same way. Let's pray. Lord, find us in our prison, if I could put it that way, 
in our suffering, in our affliction, in our persecution, faithful unto death. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.